to episode 172 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 11th of April 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hi, hi. Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. So here we are, British summertime, and it's two years almost exactly since I came on here and told you all that my life had gone to shit. But here I am two years later, still doing this with you all. I just want to say thank you to everyone. It's been a crazy two years for everyone because this was just as COVID got started and uh, everyone has been amazing. You've all kept listening, supporting us directly and visited the sponsor links and signed up for the free trials and everything. So yeah, just thank you everyone. It's uh, appreciated and here's to two more years at least of me getting paid to talk to my friends about Linux. Well done, Joe. Thanks. Will. You have got a job vacancy to plug. Normally, we charge for this, but uh, oh. seeing as it's you and it's going to help you out, what's the job? Thanks. Well, the job is for a Go developer based in the UK or Europe who knows a bit about Kafka or Kubernetes, um, database internals, if you know about that sort of thing, but it doesn't matter if you don't. But if you're a senior level Go developer and you're looking for a job, work from home, decent benefits, nice company that put people first, and you think you might like to apply, please have a look at the Influx Data Careers website. Look for the senior software engineer in the UK role. And if you've got any questions, please feel free to reach out to me directly and I will be very happy to talk you through it. Well, if you put a link in the show notes, Will, I'll uh, make sure that that gets posted with the podcast. Let's get on with the news then. First, I wanted to talk about a couple of articles from Pharonix about the upcoming Fedora 37 release. And there are discussions in the Fedora community about deprecating legacy BIOS support and also removing some legacy XORG drivers. None of us use Fedora, and I think this is bigger than Fedora. Fedora often leads the way when it comes to these things. So are we anywhere near ready to think about getting rid of legacy BIOS support and moving to a Wayland-only future? Not if you have one of those cheap ThinkPads, you won't be. Well, only if you want to run the bleeding edge or the latest and greatest Fedora or whatever the, the distro is that, that's going to drop these things. Ubuntu talked about doing these sorts of things over and over again, and every time it came up, it was always the same argument against, which is, ah, but what about dot, dot, dot? And there's always a very small group of people who have these very old machines that still want to run the latest version of that particular distro. And it was very frustrating and also very expensive and very difficult to keep the latest builds of anything building on very, very old hardware. And at some point, you just have to draw the line and say, you will not be getting new versions. If you want to keep your 15-year-old hardware, and that's a number I picked out the air, but it's probably about right. If you want to keep using your 15-year-old hardware on the latest release, well, then this particular distro is not for you. And I think that that is fine. I think that there are distros out there that cater for old limited hardware. Go use one of those. If you want to be on something that is trying to push the boundaries, move things forward, then I think you need to be running on modern hardware. So I fully support this. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's an, another good reason for kind of having some stats being reported back to distros because they'll know precisely how few, I imagine, people are running this kind of hardware and what kind of impact it's going to have and what they'll be able to do, as Will says, with the resources that would otherwise be perhaps supporting what is becoming an increasing minority. And I've got lots of old hardware, but I think it's perfectly reasonable to switch to a distro that 
is specifically built for it, or at least has a, an active community that can help you when you run into problems with those old biases. It'd be nice if you didn't have to repartition your hard drive, though, to get it to work. Like you could just switch over, which I will have to do on my laptop that I chose to do legacy boot on because mm. I mean, it's not that old. It's okay. It is old, but it's not that old. It's a Dell Sputnik 2. So I just chose because UEFI looked a bit dodgy back then and wasn't really quite. Mm. Well, will mm. it support everything? Will it not? Why do I need these different partitions? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's fine, but really. Why do we care? We shouldn't care about things like the bias or your FE. Like, I don't like the fact that there's an enormous amount of code in that thing. There's probably even more code than there is in the kernel, for fuck's sake. Like, your bias level thing shouldn't be able to go online to verify any download. That, that's so ridiculous. How much testing's going on this thing? I think we should have the simplest, stupidest bias possible that gets out of the way. A bit like the way the core boot stuff does. It's not right to be able to use a mouse in your BIOS, is it? It isn't. But why do you need to? Like, for God's sake, what what are you doing that you're in there so often that you really need that mouse? Yeah, the performance is terrible even when you are using it. I do think there's a problem, like you've just mentioned, that you had to do a legacy install. And I've always found Grub to kind of be very difficult to understand in these circumstances. It's never clear whether you've booted into UEFI mode, for example, or legacy mode. It's difficult to know whether you've chosen the right thing or how you're actually booting. I don't want to complain, but Grub does very little to help normal users in, in discerning what they're doing with their hardware and what kind of options they've got. It's always... I, I still can't believe that you have to go through the whole Grub config rather than just edit the menu file like you used to be able to. I still haven't got over that. Yeah, I still don't know where to find that file. I have to look it up every time. And it, it, like, it wouldn't matter if it was on your Mickey Mouse hardware that you use for testing, but no, it's going to be on your main machine that you don't want to screw the boot up on and then have mm. to like restore from backups that you hope are all there and fully correct. I don't know. I Just that whole area, not interested in it enough to actually care yeah, I do sympathise. I think, I mean, I used Refind, the bootloader, for some time, which was very good at being adaptable. You didn't have to set it up. And I thought that was a promising direction. But in the end, having to go back to Grub to dual boot with a Mac was the only way. Was that back in your Hackintosh days? Yes, we Refind on the Hackintosh. Yeah, that's what I used to boot. Windows 10, Linux, Mac OS, and a couple of other Linuxes as well. And you didn't have to configure it. It would dynamically find all those things and, and find the... Um, kernel for you and then boot that from there or the init rd obviously not arch then <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think i did i was running arch on my main pc then as well yeah god it was a mess i should have taken a screenshot of my ultra wide screen with all of the little boot partitions coming up i was doing about 12 of them and what about this uh, xorg stuff then it's only the very beginnings of removing support for it and it's only discussions of the very beginnings of removing support for it but it is a direction that they're going in. Fedora's had Wayland by default for quite some time now. Are we even close to being ready? Okay, well, straw poll. How many of you are using it? Not me. <laughs> no. I've tried it and then gone back for some broken reason that they can't use. Probably wobbly windows, but I think even they work now. I use it on my laptop, but I'm convinced it messes with the touchpad driver and I can't drag windows all the time. But I can't prove it, so I don't know. Ah, yeah, you're right, actually. LibInput and that the stuff, the Xorg mouse stuff has got fine, and touchpad stuff has got really good in recent years for multi-touch. Um, and there isn't a, a Wayland equivalent. Ah, Yeah, like swapping your mouse buttons around and stuff. I like to have a double tap to be middle click and a triple tap to be right click. I hope they arrest you. <laughs> it's all about opening tabs and closing tabs, Phelan. 
you're a deviant. No, you're right. I I think that stuff's really important. I use three fingers to drag a drag a window on a touchpad. And I'd really miss that when I can't do it. And I can't do that on Wayland or I couldn't the last time. And that was it. Well, the argument for Fedora doing this sort of thing, though, is that they are the leading edge distro. They're not arch, bleeding edge, but they are pushing things forward. And they're pushing it forward to, what, hundreds of thousands of very technical users who will find bugs, report them and help fix them. And so this is exactly what Fedora should be doing, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. And I think the same argument applies here, that it is only very old hardware that is going to be unsupported going forwards. It will still work with the old releases. It will still work on other distros. It's just the the latest and greatest that won't work with this old hardware. And I think that that's a sensible route forward. As you say, Jai, they, they are pushing the the edge of, of what's possible, and you can't do that and simultaneously support this long tail of ancient hardware. So I think generally it's a good thing for Linux. If we want it to move forwards and we want the desktop experiences to continue to evolve and improve, at some point you have to drop that old hardware. Yeah, and someone has to do it first, and Fedora is just the perfect distro to do it. And it's not my distro, so please carry on. Well, exactly, exactly. It's, It's not the distro of the majority of desktop users by a long way. And so that's why it's ideal for the job. So thank you, Fedora, for uh, testing it all for us so we don't have to. Was it Operation Human Shield? Is that the one in the South Park movie? <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> so Raspberry Pi OS has had an update, and they have finally fixed a pretty glaring security hole, and that is that the default user is no longer going to be Pi. When you boot into the desktop version, you're going to have a wizard and you're going to have to set your username and password like every other distro in the world. And even the headless version, you have to do it using a text file on the boot partition. It feels like it's taken them too long to do this, but, you know, better late than never. What I did quite like about the default username and password was that on the many pies I've got stuffed away in drawers not being used, when I took them out and plugged them in, I knew what the username and password <laughs> was. Did you use Raspberry as well? Yeah. <laughs> All bets are off now, so I'm going to have to just use password one, two, three like everybody else. <laughs> well, you can set it to be Pi and Raspberry mm. if you want. It does warn you that you probably oughtn't to but you do have the freedom to do that, <laughs> to be wrong. <laughs> I like the fact that you can do the headless install stuff as well. That is quite nice. And I do miss that if I use a non-Raspian install on a Pi, because those text files are dead handy when you can just do that on your main machine, configure it all ahead of time, then plug the thing in. And mm. if that worked for Ubuntu on the Pi, that would be so nice. But I don't think it does. I think it's because Ubuntu doesn't use Pi boot, but I think there are plans to make Ubuntu use Pi boot. I could be wrong, I I'm not exactly sure. But I agree with you. I thought it was cute that Pi had lasted so long, Pi and Raspberry. But I mean, if you, I haven't done it, but you've seen stories of people scanning the internet for Raspberry Pis online, and they, they come up with lists of thousands. <laughs> and it's God, God knows what kind of botnets there are out there doing all kinds of things to people's home automation systems. <laughs> this was long overdue, and to me... It's funny, you look at the development of Raspberry Pi OS over the last few years, and slowly but surely, standard security measures are being put in place, almost as if Simon Long, the fellow they put in charge of the distro, who had never used Linux before, has learned this stuff as he's gone along and implemented it. 
So cynical. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone would have had a meeting with him when he started. We want this. We want this. We want this. And then it's taken him however many years to finally come around. Yeah, okay, you're right. We'll do that. Well, I still maintain that they probably should have found someone who actually had used Linux before. But it seems like he's got there in the end. And it is it is a quality distro now, especially desktop-wise. With a Pi 4 or Pi 400, as I'm told, it is somewhat usable as a desktop. I would say more so than Ubuntu in my experience. So he must be doing something all right. About a month ago, we talked about elementary OS. And recently, Danny Foray did a live stream explaining a little bit more about the drama and what the future holds for elementary. And as far as I'm concerned, it's positive. What's essentially happened is the company has become smaller, less profit-focused, less about money, more just to be there to support the distro and take care of all of the admin and stuff. And as Danny explains, the upcoming release is hopefully going to be quicker as a result of this because there's less to distract the team. And it is a team, mostly volunteers, but nevertheless a team. And this initial release that's based on Ubuntu 2204 will come out much more quickly than the last one. And then we'll get slowly updated with point releases that will add features. And also remember, of course, they're all in on Flatpak, which makes updating the applications really easy. Of course, Danny is my friend, so do keep that in mind. But um, we'll link to this live stream anyway. It's well worth a watch to understand what's going on with that. And uh, there's been some doomsayers saying that, you know, the elementary's fucked and going to die and everything. But just watch the video if you want to find out what's going on and what the future holds. And uh, I think it's, it's positive. It's going to be a smaller operation, but I think that's good. I think it's also worth saying that if you want to see elementary thrive from this point, then people have got to support it because it's going to be difficult. Um, it's going to be difficult from this, from this new point, I think. And I really do want elementary to survive because they've done some incredible things with the desktop and their designs and it'll be sad to see it go. But it's got to build some kind of momentum from here rather than just promise to keep making iterative updates, which I've seen promised so many times from other projects and they just kind of peter out yeah i think that the proof of this pudding will be in the eating of when the release comes out that wasn't a very good way to say that was it but once this release comes out if it's timely within a couple of months of the ubuntu release that's a great sign as far as i'm concerned because it wasn't a great sign last time that they took nearly a year or over a year i think to get it out and that seemed way too long to me and from talking to Danny and hearing a bit about the internal politics, it seems that they were somewhat distracted by business matters rather than concentrating on just making a great distro and the applications to run on that distro. And I don't know anything about the background. I don't have any background information, but from an outsider's perspective, from my perspective, I'm glad that we haven't seen any more fighting and then it seems to resolved itself with Cassidy and everything kind of actually happened really quickly and quietly um, which I think is a really positive sign for the future as well. Yeah and hopefully all that's behind them now and they can just concentrate on getting this uh, release out and it'll all be hunky-dory. Okay this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. 
Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support to find out more about it. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to send in your feedback or topic suggestions or just generally want to get in touch with us, then you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Rolling Rhino is a new community remix of Ubuntu that presumably is hoping to get flavor status at some stage. This seemed very familiar to me when it started getting a lot of buzz over the last couple of weeks because Martin Wimpress came up with Rolling Rhino as a, I don't know, just a project, a, a bit of fun, which was just scripts basically to make sure that you kept upgrading to the latest dailies and whatnot. And now it seems to have become a reality, like a, a proper distro, or at least they're aiming to be a proper distro which I've tried in a VM and it seemed fine, but time is obviously the great test of this, how it deals with the the rolling nature of it. It seems pretty interesting. And as I said, it got a lot of buzz, but uh, I'm not sure that any of us are going to be using it. I don't know. I mean, you look at kind of the bug fixes that come in ahead of um, a long-term release of Ubuntu and you see there's some big things being fixed that they always are before an Ubuntu release. And I kind of think... That's the kind of cadence for Ubuntu, isn't it? You kind of, it's not the same as kind of Arch, where it's always trying to be usable. They always try and keep their packages in the best possible state. There are kind of multi tracks of development that go on for packages in Ubuntu, and they don't always land until the, the distro lands. So I'm not sure if it will work in quite the same way, at least without some quality control on those packages. I think the whole thing is insane. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a rolling release, then don't use Ubuntu. If you want a stable, tested, reliable release, then use Ubuntu. And just the two should not meet. This project, it should be taken around the back of the shed and put out of its misery, (laughs) in my opinion. Sorry, guys. Well, it's almost what I've been running on one of my laptops with Ubuntu, obviously, but... Oh, there you go, you see. (laughs) (laughs) Danger is his middle name. (laughs) (laughs) All those XFC packages getting updated in the last last minute. Which GTK will it be? (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, but it's been absolutely fine for me because I just update as soon as the development release, the dailies come out, and around now, just before the LTS comes out, it's just a shitload of updates all day, every day, basically. But again, it's all fine, obviously, with it being Ubuntu, ha, ha, ha. But uh, I don't think the GNOME version is going to be massively different, is it, in terms of breaking changes? Because I'm not convinced that during the development cycle, there are that many breaking changes with Ubuntu proper, are there? I mean, Will, you were in charge of it, so you would know better than anyone, I suppose. There's always a few, and there's always a few right up to release day. But yeah, okay, generally speaking, it is going to be working most days because... 
as was the case when I was there, and probably still today, the developers are all running the develop branch, and so that you know, they will know when something is broken. But nevertheless, like, why punch yourself in the face? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to help test the new releases, I suppose this is one way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. I, th- I think that the more testing that the releases get in an earlier stage and the more bug reports that come out, the better. That is a, a good use that could come from this. Just a quick mention for GPD. So they are well known for the GPD Pocket series and little handheld gaming devices. And it seems they've not taken the release of the Steam Deck very well because they were sort of top dogs in the portable gaming PC world. There's an article from Gaming on Linux that we can link to where Liam called them out on Twitter for borrowing, let's say, some game footage from people's Steam Deck videos without crediting them, actually marked the resulting videos as Creative Commons and shareable and remixable and stuff, which uh, they didn't get permission for. And uh, so GPD just blocked Liam, which is uh, not a good sign generally. And uh, so it's, I think it's worth a quick read of it. It's disappointing because GPD have generally been quite good at working with the Linux community. I know there's Ubuntu Mate images and stuff that uh, they sent WinPress free hardware to uh, develop on. So this is really disappointing to see them uh, acting like this. Yeah, a bit of a poor show from GPD. Like you say, they've, they've often worked with people in the community, especially Martin WinPress, for example, to make sure that Linux works really well on their devices. This seems a little bit misguided. I don't know that there's necessarily any uh, malice intended here. I think perhaps somebody in the PR department got a bit excited. What I am interested in is perhaps there's a bit of a market developing here for these portable handheld Linux devices. Perhaps this could be the netbook of my dreams. (laughs) Maybe. Although I actually did get hold of a GPD Pocket 2. It was a drunken eBay purchase. It turned out that it was not the one that I'd bought, so I sent it back. It was way too underpowered to be useful. But that form factor was just, it was too small, too fiddly, and just not what I'd hoped. But I think the P2 Max is slightly bigger, got a proper tiny touchpad, uh, and I've heard that that's good but it's also really, really expensive. So I don't think it fits that netbook dream of yours because they also have to be cheap. It's just not going to happen, Will. It's the bottom line. You're not going to get a tiny, powerful laptop that runs Linux perfectly and is 100 quid. But I want (laughs) to. Maybe one day. So I'm just going to go out and say, fuck the Tories. (laughs) What for this time, Joe? Well, apart from (laughs) fucking everything... (laughs) They've gone too far. They have asked the Royal Mint to mint a fucking NFT. Was it not bad enough how they fucked up COVID, how they put taxes up on everyone or all working people? Is it not bad enough this non-dom scandal with the Chancellor's wife and the fact that he officially lived in America while he was Chancellor? All of that should be enough, but this NFT bollocks should push it over the fucking top. We should march on Downing Street and demand a general election now and insert Sir Keith as our glorious Prime Minister. But to the moon, Joe. What about that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe we should just invest in this NFT. It's it's supposed to be an emblem of the forward-looking approach 
that they're taking. Like, oh my God. How's Brexit worked out for you guys? <laughs> Has it been working well? Oh, it's been working brilliantly, yeah. Well, cool. And this will obviously work well as well. If you like parking your lorry in Kent for a couple of weeks, then you're going to love Brexit. <laughs> they could NFT an image of that. <laughs> well, just think of all the job opportunities of selling those lorry driver sandwiches and stuff. Ah, it's a missed opportunity. British jobs for British work as well. I think that this, like all the other things the Tories have done, is another tax. It's a tax on the critically stupid. <laughs> I don't believe that anybody is going to buy one of these. Why would they? Oh, well, I, I maintain nobody does buy them. I maintain they don't exist. This is smoke and mirrors on the part of Sunak <laughs> to detract from the fact that he's been dodgy. No, this shows the forward-looking approach we are determined to take towards crypto assets in the UK. So the Treasury says, fuck them. That's what I say. Doesn't change anything though, Joe, unfortunately. No. And you know that the idiots will fucking vote for them again. But uh, I suppose that ends politics corner. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a quick KDE corner then before we get out of here. And there's only uh, two things here by the looks of things, or three maybe. KDE itinerary has barcodes for the gating and seating and now a barcode reader. So, so I got a kicking on Telegram by various KDE people who told me that it does have seating and barcode stuff. So what I did was tried it with the extra email PDF ticket thing that you get later on, and it actually recognizes that it's part of the same ticket and then gives you a barcode for it. Mind you, it is a square barcode, and I don't know if the readers will work on that. So I guess next airport trip for me, I shall be sweating as I'm there desperately trying to see if it works or not. Is it a QR code or a proper old school barcode? No, it's one of those weird 3D barcodes, but it's not a QR code, I don't think, because it looks different. It's one of those ones with, like, square blocks in the middle. Oh, weird. Yeah, I don't know. There's a whole thing about those things. I don't care enough about barcodes to actually care that much, but... So you can't put it into your barcode battler, then? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But, latest version of K-Itinery has its own barcode scanner, so if you've got a paper ticket, you can now scan it with that, and if it knows the format, it'll read it into it, which I thought was pretty smart. And they've also got stuff for overnight trains through Austria, France, Switzerland, and weather alerts for those as well. So they're getting further on with stuff. And the Wikidata stuff, they also have lookup for Amtrak and they added train stations as well. So they're really building quite a comprehensive application with the lot. With using the new lib address input, they've increased their country range from 35 to 190 with KD contact as well. And that is all part of the way of recognizing de-Europeanizing the address field in K-itinerary as well. So they're really trying to internationalize this and get it out of just English or the usual Latin languages, etc. De-Europeanizing? That sounds good to me, Felim. <laughs> Are they taking back control? Maybe you should take that to your Brexit chums. Yeah, we should definitely have some of that. Yeah. And some updates from Nate, as usual, then. Yeah, he's got a couple of really good ones there. Uh, they've done a lot of updates to UI elements to make them touch-friendly. So you might say, why do I care about that? But if you have a tablet or a phone, as is coming out in the future, the Breeze UI elements can adapt, space out better, and make themselves touch-sensitive. And uh, that also means things like the uh, Dolphin's Places, the Open Save dialog, uh, Gwenview, and any of the Qt widget-based stuff has also been enabled for that as well, including, and you'll be happy to hear, the four-fingered swipe. Are they working on a uh, note-taking app so you don't have to rustle paper while you're doing this? <laughs> Absolutely outrageous, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they've also got the uh, Wacom Easy Express Key Remote, which looks like something that 
business people doing fancy meetings might use. But I thought it was quite cool because it's quite a nice interface to it, which I wish they do for some more of the joystick-based stuff that I might actually like to use. But uh, anyway, that's just me complaining. They've also got a new Crash Dump SCUI tool coming out, which is try and help stuff from Dr. Conkey, which, you know, try and amalgamate multiple crashes of the same thing together, try and improve bug testing and stuff. And uh, they've also got the screencast permission when you're using XTG Portal, which is things like OBS Studio recently uses and things like that. So it'll actually remember that, so you won't have to keep reapplying that to uh, Wayland sessions in the future. So that's quite good too. Why is always good stuff in KDE Corner? Why don't they do an NFT or something so I can uh, <laughs> write in the notes KDE or Shower of Bastards instead of the usual good stuff? <laughs> the 15-minute bugs haven't exactly been rocketing to the bottom. I mean, like they're creeping down one by one, so you could go with that one if you want to. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's trying at least. Well, there you go. See, KDE's just brilliant. Obviously. Right, well, with that then, we'd better get out of here. We'll be back next week with some discoveries and some of your feedback. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Salem. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.